Country Makers. I'm Matt Prater. Today our guest host, Wes Leek, is speaking with Franz Cronier, who is the brother of Hansi Cronier, famous South African cricketer. Welcome to History Makers. My name is Wesley Leek and I'm your host for this week. And this week we're joined by Franz Cronier. Welcome, Franz. Hi, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. You hail all the way from South Africa? Yeah, I've been travelling all around the world to, to get to Australia. I was in New Zealand yesterday um, and then... I had to fly from South Africa via Washington and Los Angeles and Fiji to eventually get on the side of the world. <laughs> well, we're glad that you can be here and share with us today. Now, Franz, you come from a very famous sports family. Tell us, tell us a bit about that. Yeah, ever since I can remember, all we thought about was playing sport. My dad um, really loved sport. It, it's still to this day sort of the only thing he could speak about. Um, and uh, I remember when we were really young sitting at the um, lunch table on a Sunday afternoon and my sister actually offered us 10 cents each if we could speak about something other than sport (laughs) so we agreed to it and there was this like really uncomfortable silence for a minute and then we spoke about sport again (laughs) but uh, we we played some cricket test matches and rugby test matches in the backyard and the guys that were our friends were guys like Alan Donald and Nicky Bouhia um, you know, even at that young age, Alan was a really fast bowler, um, and Hansi already was a really good cricketer back then. But we all knew we wanted to play professional cricket, so it kind of was just natural progression from the backyard to the um, cricket fields around the world. And as a family, you actually scored. Hansi, as we know, went on to uh, to captain the South African cricket team. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. My my father played uh, cricket for the Free State at provincial level, and he he was at one stage the number three tennis player in South Africa. Um, I played provincial rugby and cricket, um, and uh, then Hansi, you know, also played provincial cricket. But then he went on to play for South Africa, where I played provincial cricket for 11 years then as a professional cricketer and a bit of league cricket in England um, but never played for South Africa. You come from this famous sporting family but where was God in in all that as well? Yeah it's it's interesting you know in the environment where I grew up in the free state back then uh, it was a pretty um, conservative protected environment where everybody I knew went to the same church you know we kind of went to the same school, grew up in the same neighborhood, went to the same church, believed in God, definitely. But I don't think, well, I, I know I never had a relationship with God. And it, you know, it wasn't until after the 1991 Cricket World Cup that was here in Australia, and it was the first time South Africa was back in international sport. Um, the South African side had a great first tournament. We beat Australia in the opening match. Hansi played in that, and it was his life dream to play for South Africa. And yet just after that, he had gone back to South Africa and both him and me got contracts to play in the Lancashire League. And we were having a barbecue, or as we call it in South Africa, a braai in England. And I said to Hansi, hey, you know what? Look at these English people. They're so ungodly. They've got the most beautiful cathedrals and churches and, and chapels, but they're all empty. There are no more congregations in them. And Hansi looked at me and he said, yeah, but aren't we the same? Our body is supposed to be a temple of God. But aren't we just as empty as these cathedrals? And that really shook me. First of all, I realized that I was being very self-righteous and hypocritical, you know, pointing a finger at the English, and yet my life was far from being in order. You know, I was going to church, but I didn't know the Lord at all. There was no difference between me or any of the guys in the team that didn't profess to be Christian. The only difference was I said I was a Christian. Um, a short 
while after that, a few months after that, um, Hansi was driving um, north of Durban and a little Zulu girl ran in front of his car and he killed her. You know, he had no chance. He just ran straight in front of the car from behind a taxi. And that shook his life, you know, and, and he then gave his life to the Lord. Then he realized that he, he had to give his life to the Lord. And it wasn't until about four years after that where just one evening in June 1996, I sat alone in my room reading a book. And some voice in me just said, Franz Cronier, if you die tonight, where are you going? And I knew I wasn't saved. I just knew I didn't know the Lord. And I said, Lord, I've been trying because I realized there was major things wrong in my life. And I studied the Ten Commandments. I, I studied the fruit of the Spirit. I said, you will have joy. You will have peace. It doesn't work that way. And I said, well, I tried on my own. Jesus, won't you come and change my heart? And he did. He changed it in such a way that my teammates could see a d- real difference in my life. At that stage, our captain was a guy called Peter Kirsten. He opened the batting for South Africa as well. And I can remember a few weeks prior to that, Kersey still said to me, Hey, Franz, you've got a foul mouth, man. You swear a lot. And I realized that, you know, without me even knowing, uh, I was just really swearing a lot. I, at that stage, I was a deacon in the church for two years. Um, so I kind of went back to our pastor and I said, Listen, I've just given my life to the Lord. <laughs> and he said, Oh, really? And uh, they they gave me a gap at church to, to testify and to just tell people about it. And I think I used that about half an hour of his service sermon time. Um, but I was so passionate and wanting to tell people about what the Lord had done in my life. And I realized that through sharing my story, as simple as it may be, it was touching people's lives. And and that's where I really became passionate about telling stories because it's stories that change people's lives. All Jesus did was go around telling stories and have compassion towards people. Um, but then I realized if you're going to be telling stories all over the world, you travel a lot. So instead of traveling such a lot, I then thought, okay, let's put it on DVD. And that's where the whole thing started, where I wanted to go into production and, and started getting involved in some video production that then grew into a film company later on. So let's talk about that. You've made uh, two films now. Uh, which ones are they? Yeah, the first movie we made was called Faith Like Potatoes, the true story of a farmer called Angus Buchan. And then again, if you take it back to Angus, is really just a, a plain, straightforward, simple man with a grade eight education. Um, but yet, because he was willing to trust God, has has had a major impact in, in Africa and around the world now and, and many parts of Australia as well. I met Angus back in 1999 while I was still coaching the Natal Dolphins and I read his biography and I said to him, Angus, man, I don't know anything about making movies, but we've got to turn this story into a movie. And it wasn't until seven, seven years later that we had finally produced the movie Faith Like Potatoes. Again, you know, with a team that... We, our director was well-known, but other than that, we just really had a bunch of rookies. It was the first movie set I ever put my feet onto, um, and none of the distributors wanted to touch the movie. So we had to distribute it ourselves as well, and it became such a box office success in South Africa that it's now been bought by Sony Pictures, and it will be released in America on the 7th of April. So it's really fantastic to see how the Lord has just used us, again, in our simplicity as well. Um, and then after that, um, with the experience we gained there, we then set out to produce a movie about Hansi, my brother, and primarily because I felt that in the way that he had messed up, people could identify with his story, and there was such a lot to learn from it, um, that we then made the movie and we released that 
towards the end of last year in South Africa, and it again was very successful. And we're now looking towards releasing it worldwide, and Australia being one of the places. It's, been t- it's interesting that both of them, both Angus Buck and, and, and Hansi, were actually involved in killing someone. Uh, and and you get to tell that story and the impact that that had on people's lives. Tell me mm. a bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I think the the impact on it was slightly different for both of them, but um, both of them it involved actually kids as well. Um, in a, in the Angus Bucken story, it was his own brother's son that that fell off a tractor, um, and that was some twenty years ago. And still to this day, it it is difficult for Angus. But because he had known the Lord, um, he could deal with it. You know, I, I don't know how someone that doesn't know the Lord could deal with it. It, it really must be tough. Um, I know that even during the King Commission, that I thought was the toughest time in Hansi's life, um, after that match-fixing scandal, um, that my mum had looked through Hansi's Bible after he had passed away, and she said she could see from all the notes he made that that time after killing that that girl in the, in the accident – um, that that he really struggled with that. It was a tough time. Fortunately for him, it was the time that he, he met his wife. He started dating her, and she's a lovely Christian girl. She could really help Hansi a lot. Also, guys like John T. Rhodes and Andrew Hudson, Pastor Ray McCauley, were around Hansi at that time and helped him a lot. One of the things uh, I noticed with the film is that it's about how do you regain the trust of a nation. And you talked about the match-fixing scandal how does somebody recover after after something like that? It was tough. It took Hansi 18 months um, after the King Commission to eventually get up again. Um, you know, he, he really went into depression. Um, he really felt that he had let everybody down. Um, the nation, the cricket, his teammates, his family, he'd let God down. Um, he really loved the Lord before that. You know, the question that the media asked was, if he really was a Christian, why did he do what he did? But the wonderful thing about this story is that we all do that. We all love the Lord, and yet we still all mess up. And if there's no redemption in that for us, then it would really be a hopeless life. Um, and Hansi eventually realized that mainly through the help of Peter Pollock, um, Sean Pollock's dad, and, and, and Peter is an evangelist. Uh, Hansi called him and said, Peter, I need help. And, and Peter really helped him. And that scene in the movie where Peter spoke to Hansi has really come out well. You know, that is the redemptive scene in the movie. And and it, it's kind of been everybody's favorite that have watched the movie. So what would you say to someone out there who's listening uh, to the radio program today who has stuffed up? Uh, they've done something that uh, they regret. What would you say to them now? I think the the to me now, after serving the Lord for 12 years, 13 years, I think if you can summarize the gospel of Jesus Christ is what Jesus said, I've come to heal the brokenhearted and set the captives free. I think first of all it starts with us not knowing God. Um, he, come, he comes to heal our hearts not knowing Him. But even when we know Him, He still heals our hearts every day. He still sets us free every day. Mm. Um, don't beat yourself up. First of all, you've got to turn away from it. Hansi, Hansi put up his hand and he said, I'm sorry, I was wrong. He didn't blame anyone else. He said I was wrong, and he turned away from it. But then you've got to forgive yourself. Um, you've got to go forward. You've got to realize that other people mess up as well. It's not just me. Um, and you've got to allow Jesus to, to heal your heart. You've got to allow him to set you free. 
Um, don't try and do it on your own. You can't. <laughs> you can't redeem yourself. It's, it's Jesus that redeems us. He's our redeemer. He lives. And he's, he's able and just to forgive us. Um, that's why he told the story of the prodigal son. Um, his father didn't beat him over the head first. His father was waiting for him, put his ring back on him, threw his coat over him, and ordered a feast when his son came back. As a family, you've been uh, in the very high with, uh, within the sports world, but you also faced the very lows. How did you as a family cope with all that? It was tremendously tough. I think the two years after the King Commission, before Hansi died, was even tougher than his death. It really was tough. And as you say, we experienced him becoming the best captain in the world. At one stage, South Africa was ranked number one in one-day cricket and five-day cricket while he was captain. And then we see him fall to right, like in the prodigal son, it says he was in the pigsty. Hansi was in the pigsty. He was right down there. Um, and it was difficult to see. It was difficult to to see him just suffer that much. Um, but we got behind him. You know, there was never one moment where we felt that we were not going to support him and not be with him. Um, and But it was tough. I could see my parents really took a knock at that time. You know, it was really difficult for them um, to experience the pain that their son had to go through. Um, but again, you know, that's where the Lord comes in. I can now see eight years later how my mum and dad have really grown. Um, they're really looking good. They, their relationship with the Lord is now much better than it ever was before. So what would you say to someone now who's saying, how do I reach out to God then? I'm going through this, this mess of a situation. How do I reach out and touch God? I think just go get quiet. Um, go sit down, read the Bible. That is God's word. He'll speak to you through that. Um, make time to try and listen to God. But also, um, don't stay there. I think start there. Start on your own. But then once you've had your time there, um, ask the Lord's forgiveness and then go on. Carry on. And I've seen in my own life, I've seen in Hansi's life, that the best way to get out of depression is to look towards other people. Not for help, but to help other people. Um, I think when you're so in, in, I don't know what the right English word is now, you know, you're just in yourself the whole time, it gets worse. But when you begin to look to help others, that's when you're able to get out of it. Because as you begin to look at other people's poverty or problems and begin to help them, the Lord gives you those words to help them. And that in itself becomes healing to you. So start on your own, but then get up off your knees, carry on with life because life goes on. And you you just got to find a way to help other people, and you'll see how the Lord helps you out of it. That's a, a fantastic principle that that the more we look out to others and help them, the more that we will be helped ourselves. Franz, you've had a, such an interesting life so far. What's what's next? Have you got other <laughs> stories that you want to tell? Hopefully, holiday. <laughs> I'm flying all around the world to promote the movie at the moment, yeah. and, and and I'm not spending more than two days per city. Most of the time, one day. Um, yeah, we've got two more movies that we want to make. Um, both are true stories. One is a story of a guy called Stephen Lungu. Um, he grew up as a street child in Zimbabwe. Back then it was called Rhodesia. And today he's one of Africa's most influential pastors. He goes around the world speaking to people. He's well known in Australia and in New Zealand as well. Um, and then the other story is a, is, a, is a guy who's a bit older. He's 86 years old now. He was a prisoner of war during the Second World War. And while um, he was taken prisoner at the Battle of Tobruk, the Germans took him 
to put him in captivity. And while he was in the POW camp, a Scotsman that became friends with him died in his place. Um, the Scotsman just said to him, I'm ready to live, you not. But I hope one day you meet my best friend, Jesus. You know, tremendous, tremendous story of, of no greater love as he that, than to lay down the, his life for a friend. This guy died in Clem's place so that he could live. And Clem then went back to South Africa, eventually gave his life to the Lord and has served the Lord as a pastor for over 60 years with his wife. And their, their motto has just been any time, any place, any price, Lord, we will serve you. Wow, we look forward to <laughs> to, to uh, seeing those movies released because it is key that the, the best thing that we can talk from or share from is our own testimony and how God has changed us, and that's what you're doing. Oh, yes, yeah. I mean, Angus Buchan is in Perth this weekend um, ministering there to a group of men, and Angus always says, you know, the, you, the people's have been battling over theology and doctrinal issues for centuries. But the one thing you can't argue is a testimony because you weren't there. <laughs> I've got my testimony. I know what I lived. I, I can tell that story. Um, and in that, um, I think, is the power of the practical application of God's word. Well, thank you, Franz. You truly are a history maker. So we bless you uh, as you go forward and share not only your story, but the story of others what you're doing. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you, and God bless all of you guys in, in Australia. Thank you. That brings us to the end of this week's show. You can listen to this interview again or any of our other interviews. Simply go to historymakersradio.com. Thanks for joining us. History Makers.